Hello and welcome to another episode of the Jimmy Rex Show. Today on the show, I'm sitting here with Lyndon Baker, and I've known Lyndon for five or six years now. Lyndon is such an inspiration to me and to everybody that she comes across. She has an amazing energy and an amazing, incredible story. Lyndon, at age 23, she'd been working with a nonprofit, and she noticed that as she traveled to these different countries in Africa and around the world, that there was a lot of impoverished women that just didn't have opportunities. They were at such a disadvantage. Uh, as far as creating income for their families in a situation where uh, something they could build towards in their lives. And so what Lyndon did is, you know, and, and this is the part that inspires me so much about her story, is in life we hear about these issues that are out there, whatever it might be, and we always say, like, they need to fix this, like, they need to help those people. And Lyndon realized that there is no they, like, she became the they. She said, look, I'm going to take this issue on, I'm only 23, uh, but she knew that she could make a difference. And now, just to fast forward just two years, she employs over 2,000 women all over the globe, like nine different countries. And her story is such an inspiration. I know at 23, 24, what I was doing. And, you know, it just makes me really think about, like, how much we really can affect the world when we set our minds to doing great things. And so I'm so excited to introduce her to you guys, my audience. You're going to love her story. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Jimmy Rex Show. I'm here today with Lyndon Baker. And uh, Lyndon, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So Lyndon is one of those extremely rare human beings in this millennial generation. She's 25 years old and she has a giant company that she has uh, started she started out doing some nonprofit things, saw an opportunity and ran with it. And she's just very inspiring and I want to get you on to tell your story a little thank bit. So thank you. you. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about the company that you now run and kind of what you guys do. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we'll kind of go back into your story a little bit kind okay. of. Yeah. So um, our company is called Fairkind. So my friend and I started it about a year and a half ago. And what we do is we work with artisan groups in developing countries. So there are already all these amazing established artisan groups, super talented people who um, have been doing this for, you know, generations. It's something that's passed on to their families and they're really, really good at, but they just don't have market access. And so kind of during our travels and experiences, we realized that you know, someone needs to come in and bridge this gap between, you know, these artisan groups with all these skills and talents and everything and companies here who have a desire to give back and, and do good, but um, don't necessarily have like a cause or, or something specific that they're, you know, tapped into yet. Um, and so we kind of bridge the gap. So we connect companies here with these artisan groups and we do custom products for um, a number of things, whether it's for resale, like a product packaging type thing or corporate gifting or whatever it may be. And so, I mean, you made that sound like it was a very basic thing, but this is like a giant operation in 10 different countries. So mm -hmm. you literally go to each different country and find out what the artisans or the people that are basically making handcrafts. Is that mm -hmm. kind of the better way to understand yeah, so, it? Yeah, so, it's just all handcraft. It's completely handmade. Yeah. And you go to that country, see an opportunity, come mm -hmm. back, and then you work to add them to your, basically right. to what mm -hmm. you guys sell. Yeah, right? yeah, and finding the right fit for them. But then also a big part of it is kind of tweaking their products to fit more of a Western aesthetic um, and making, especially, you know, the quality standards and everything, making sure that it meets the standards out here. Too. Okay. So now I want to back up a little bit now that people can understand what you, mm -hmm. what it is. And by the way, how many people are employed currently that you guys work with that are, um, um you guys are working with? So the groups with? we're working with, I mean, 
and it varies, you know, depending on what orders we have going on at the time. But we have over two thousand artisans in different countries that we're working. It's amazing. Yeah. Wow. How, what a what a great blessing you've been to all these different people all over the world. Yeah, um, what are some of the countries that you guys are in right now? So in Africa, we're in Rwanda, Uganda, and Morocco. And that's Uganda is really where we started, and um, and then we're in Peru, we're in Guatemala, Uzbekistan, Mexico. South Africa. I'm forgetting I some. I love it. No, it's yeah. great. Well, and so now backing up, um, you're 25 years old. How does Linden become a part of this, you know, the, launches this giant company at 23 years old? Yeah. What happened before that? What were you doing? Like growing up, you graduated high school. How'd you end up in Utah and mm-hmm. kind of what, what happened from there? Yeah, so I ended up in Utah because I um, decided I wanted to study PR and PR had a really good, BYU has a really good program for that. Um, so came to BYU and, um, you know, it was totally random. Like I was pre-law for a while there, like president of the club and like the whole shebang. And <laughs> and then just experiences happen, life happened. And I became really um, interested in IDP camps in northern Uganda, um, which are internally displaced persons. And so I was trying to um, get this research project approved by BYU so I could go there and do some work. And, and um, what got you interested in that? I don't even know. Like, I think I, I've always been, I like for a while, I, my dream job was to work for the like, um, world like health or world human rights watch kind of a thing. And so I would get their like year end report every year and I would like read and like dig through everything. And, um, and one year they were talking about these IDP camps and I wanted to like dig more in. So I started like trying to get this application done for this research project. And I ended up mentioning it to someone, um, that I knew through pre-law, like again, totally random. And they were like, Hey, we know someone who just got back from Uganda. You should meet. And so friend like took us both out to lunch and um and who I'm meeting is now my business partner okay. and so anyways we were like both just like um like just clicked right away and she had just got back from Uganda and had kind of um like been working on this jewelry thing with a group there um but it was kind of at a point of like um deciding whether or not to like keep going because it was something that was just on the side and um like everyone was just kind of like throwing in their own money every month to like pay like these five women that they had worked with or whatever. Um, and at the time I was looking for like a capstone internship and I was just like super excited about Uganda and, and working with people there. And so I was like, Hey, like, let's like try and like do this. Like, let's just go hard and like see if we can make it work. And like, you know, if not, then fine. What do we have? You know? Yeah. Go enjoy the experience right. and see what could come of it. Yeah. So, um, so we like, we totally revamped, we launched a new brand in, um, we launched a new website and we got into retailers. So this is Musana. And we so we relaunched as Musana International and we had a new website and um, we got in with a few big retailers and um, we're kind of growing and doing that. And then as we went along, um, we and kept. Did you see it like taking this route of this giant business like opportunity or did you? No, so like that kept... totally. And I mean, it just was totally out of chance. And I think like one thing is like, I mean, yeah, by chance, but, like, also be, like, based on just what didn't work, right? So, like, we were going, like, chugging along and, like, slowly growing, but, like, really, it just, it was never, like, we were never killing it just with Musana selling directly to customers. It okay. was just so much work, and, like, customer acquisition is so difficult, and just, you know, all these things, and we were both wearing, like, 20 hats and working five side jobs, and, like, it was insane. Like, I never slept. It was, like, not <laughs> something sustainable, right? Um, so, you know, we were doing that, and then, I think, like, luckily we were really open to, like, pivoting when we needed to, though. So as we were going along, we kept having businesses approach us wanting to do these big partnerships. And so we had a few successful campaigns with companies here in Utah, 
And that kind of showed us that like, hey, this is like this niche that we need to tap into. You know, there's these companies who um, they have a really big marketing or product budget and they want to like give back and show like their audience that they're doing good, but they don't want to just like write a check to some like nonprofit fund. Yeah, and, you never and, know where the yeah, money's and like, and it's like and... their customers and employees have no connection to that. Um, whereas if they do something with Musana and they, you know, have a product that's attached to it and they can like meet and talk to these women, it's just so much more tangible. And so um, after a couple of those partnerships, we decided that we would just totally pivot and only do like those business to business type things. Because the thing is, too, is that like we as a company, I mean, it's just it's one order and it's it's such a bigger scale. And so the work that goes into that is so much smaller. So just for everyone, it made more sense. Well, and so, you know, so by going to with these big companies, like when you were first in Uganda, mm-hmm. so you were you're just working one off with a few ladies at a time. Is that what was going so, on? So, I mean, so after I came on and we did like the big revamp, we were able to like double and then again, add more artisans. So we went from like seven artisans to 40. Okay. And so, and we still, we have like a 60 now that we're working with still in Uganda in that group. Um, so we did like see a lot of growth and we were able to do that. But yeah, we, we just knew we always wanted to go bigger and that we wanted to help people in other places too. So and pause on the story there for a sec. I want to kind of focus first on Uganda because it's such mm-hmm. a, I, I've been to, you know, Haiti and Dominican Republic all over the world and seen kind of these artisans and how their lives are in different mm-hmm. things. But how did it give us some examples? Like how did it change the lives of some of these women? Do you have any examples in particular that totally. you saw? So um, one of my favorite little girls, her name's Nicole. Like she has my heart. She is the cutest little kid in the world. She's just so like happy and smiley. And I just am obsessed with her. Um, but her mom, Eve, is just such a sweetheart. Um, And so her mom, Eve, came on with Musana pretty early. And when she first came on, she was, like, very, very quiet and kind of reserved. Um, And unless you're educated, which, like, very little people are in Uganda, you don't speak any English. And so – and Luganda, which is the native language there, isn't even, like, a fully written language. So, like, being able to read and write in English is a huge asset in Uganda. And so when she came on, and that's something that we offer is classes in English. So she okay. came on to Musana and um, started to learn how to read and write. And, um, and, and like not only was she gaining like educational skills and knowledge and everything, but also like I think just having those things, it's amazing to see the change in just confidence and self-worth and, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I was going back, you know, every summer and it was amazing to see like each time I would go back how different she was like all of our women, but her especially. And I think just because I was always going to her house specifically to hang out with Nicole and like her brothers and everything. So I spent a lot of time with Eve and you know, now like the last time I was there, Eve could have a full conversation with me in English, which like before she could never do. It'd be one of those things where like, I would like ask her something and she'd kind of like look at someone to be like, what did you say? Like, and you know, cause she just wasn't confident in her English. And now she's like totally the class clown at our workshop. Like she's the one, like when you get there, when we bring people, she'll like get up and start like singing and dancing. And like, she's just has this huge personality and we're like, where did this come from? You know? Well, and that's the reason I, you know, that this whole podcast is to highlight exceptional people living extraordinary lives. And the thing that I think is so cool about what you're doing is, you know, you hear a lot of people on social media or on the news uh, talk about they want to empower women or they want to give this empowerment to women, but they aren't really doing anything to actually empower women. And your organization, as you mentioned, has helped to empower literally um, over 2,000 people and mostly women, I I, I assume. Yeah. Well, I think like what's so amazing and like what it's, it's like really important for us to focus on like, sometimes we have the wrong mentality of like, 
giver receiver and like oh we're these like wealthy people in America and like we're helping these poor people in Africa but it's not like that at all like those people are incredibly talented like they are smart and they are like the most courageous resilient people you will ever meet you know like they are so much more brave just everything like I have so much respect for them but what's amazing is that it's not that like I mean, the the only problem is that they're lacking opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing is that, like, we we don't want to go in and give people things. Like, people people don't need things. They don't need stuff. They need just an opportunity. And it's so much more empowering when instead of, you know, having someone pay for your kid to go to school, you have an actual job that allows you to send your kid to school. You know, like, that's, like, yeah, people want to be able to do it themselves. Yeah, I think that self-worth and that self-confidence exactly. comes yeah. from that, right? That's I've talked about this on the podcast a few times before, but my biggest pet peeve with, like, handouts and, like, government mm-hmm aid and stuff like that is that it doesn't change that self-confidence of the human it doesn't give them that empowerment to go out and and then do it for other people as well and things like that and so I I think what you said is so valuable like I've been to over 40 countries now and um, the advantage of these some of these poorer countries right Mm -hmm. is these people they have such good street smarts right I mean they are survivors they know what to do and they're hustlers oh Oh my gosh I was I was in Cambodia like a month ago and we were trying to find scorpions for at night. We wanted to eat a scorpion. Yeah. And uh, you can, they have like street vendors and we couldn't find one anywhere. Mm-hmm. And we finally found this like, uh, it is an empty cart. It was like 1130 at night. Yeah. And we're like, where's the, where's the guy that sells them? You know, and this little kid, he's like nine comes running over, you know, and he's this little hustler, this little chubby little kid. And, <laughs> you know, and next thing we know, we'd given him 20 bucks cause he's eating a snake and a scorpion. Oh my gosh. And, but it was like so funny. He had the better street smarts than any nine year old I've oh, run across yeah. in years here in the oh, States. I know. Right? Okay. I'm always saying too, to people that like here we have to like baby our children and stuff. And I don't know how this happens, but I swear in Uganda, like you don't have to tell kids not to touch a hot stove or like tell them not to go in the street. Like they just know. And I don't know if it's like their siblings are looking out for them or whatever, or just like, I mean, because like parents can't constantly be watching their kids, but like for some reason they have like this crazy level of street smarts that we just don't have. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. Well, what did, what, other so you were you always wanting to be a traveler is that something that you always did as a child did your parents take you to a lot of places is that how this kind of spawned the idea or you just I mean like Uganda was my first like I mean I'd gone to like Mexico and Canada and like vacations and stuff but um I never really traveled internationally until I went to Uganda so yeah I mean I, I was definitely always interested in um just in what was going on in the world and I think um I don't know. I've always had a really strong sense of justice and and I hate when I know that people are being treated unfairly. So that's kind of where my passion for human rights started and then from that, you know, I was I I was kind of wanting to go down that path and then I realized that I could have you know, more, more of an impact and make more of a difference kind of using the skill set that I have in, in this arena. Gotcha. So. And I think there's an irrational fear around traveling internationally oh, totally, too. Yeah. For people like girls, and you, know, you see like a movie like Taken or something, right? right like yeah. I've been to five countries in Africa and I've never felt more safe in my life. Oh yeah. Know? So explain a little bit of that. Like as a attractive young woman, you know, you're in your early twenties, you're mm-hmm. in these random places. Obviously you look different than everybody else right. there. What was it like? Was it dangerous at all? Or did no, I mean, I mean, I I have had a couple of close calls on like bodas. Um, oh, I hope my mom doesn't see this. <laughs> Sorry, mom, love you. But I mean, I mean, other than like, yeah, like traffic kind of stuff. Because yeah, I mean, that is the one thing that like you have to be really careful about transportation stuff because that can be dangerous. But as as long as you're smart about the choices that you're making and you're really aware of your surroundings, you'll be fine. I yeah. mean. I wouldn't go, and I mean, you have to be more careful in, like, the big cities, obviously, don't have, like, your cell phone out or, like, in your back pocket. Like, you're for sure going to get pickpocketed if you do that. 
Um, but I think as long as you are like aware of your surroundings and, and don't make stupid decisions, you can totally be safe. Gotcha. And so once you guys had the success that you had in Uganda and everything else, how did you expand it from there? Because to go to nine to 10 countries in just a couple of years right. and a half, right? Mm-hmm. And- yeah. So Musana, we like started. So that's like our group and we still are totally running it. I'm going out in a couple of weeks for a ribbon cutting on our new campus. Awesome. And yeah, so we have our own managers in country who, who run the show and we're just kind of in communication with them. Um, but then when we decided to start Fairkind, so Musana is still a nonprofit, and then we started Fairkind, which is kind of this umbrella for-profit company. And so now Musana is one of the artisan groups that we source products from. So there are a group in Uganda, and then we have a group in Rwanda and Guatemala and all, all over the place. Um, so we just, so we already knew, and like I said, like we had already made connections with groups all over, right? Mm-hmm. Like Musana who uh, were making ma- amazing products, but like their local market is like, they can only do so much. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it was something where like the artisans kind of just like made a little bit on the side when they had an order, but like a lot of the times had no work. And so, um, yeah, it was just kind of a really unfortunate situation. Right. Um, and so we decided that we wanted to like be getting orders for all these different groups and be working with them and kind of tapping into that. And after we had all these businesses approaching us, we decided that the best move was to just pivot and only focus on business to business. Um, not only because it's it just makes more sense for our business model, but also for the artisans because it means that like we can come in and be like, hey, we're making this one product for this company and we'll buy as many high quality baskets as you can make in the next four months. And for them, like that's a huge boost of income that allows them to invest in, you know, their family's farm or their kids going to college or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And it's just more sustainable for them than trying to do tiny amounts of a bunch of different products. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So, and so you're in 10 countries now. Have you been mm-hmm. able to go? How many of the countries have you personally been able to Only go? a few. A so few yeah, and I mean, the rest, I mean, we're in constant contact with the managers that we have in different places. So how many people are you managing right now? Um, I mean, it's at least like 10, right? And I mean, <laughs> yeah. sometimes too, it just totally depends on the artisan group and the structure too. Like, so in Rwanda, for example, we have like a manager who's, who's only employed by like our company um, because we have like 10 different cooperatives that we coordinate between. And so that's like, it would be way too much to like have to be doing all of that. And so we have one manager in Rwanda who does the coordination with them and we work mostly through him. Um, but yeah, when we're in country, we're going to each of those different cooperatives to kind of do all the coordination and everything. And so at this point, do you guys want, I mean, do you have a goal as far as how big you want this to go? Or is it just kind of like the sky's the limit? We want to help as many people yeah, as we can? Yeah, I mean, can? the sky is the limit. So yeah. like right now, I mean, our, our goal right now is that we want to have enough work that all of our artisan groups have as much work as they want year round. Mm. Um, and then from there, I mean, there's definitely more artisan groups that we could be working with. And, and even just in the artisan groups that we are working with, more local people who could come on and, and help out too. So you're 25 years old. I mean, do you feel like, does this cut into your dating life? Does this cut into other things you've had planned originally? I mean, was you, because yeah, you, I mean, you, yeah. you adulted real fast. You yeah, became guess, an adult very yeah. fast, right? So I still feel like so, I'm like, I, yeah, I guess it's weird. I'm like still not an adult sometimes. Yeah, I'm just well, you're like 25. Figuring no, it out and whatever, but... I mean, it totally is just like, yeah, there are times like just a few months ago, we had kind of a crisis come up on this one order and I literally bought a ticket and like left for Morocco. So I had like a day to leave and didn't know how long I'd be there. I ended up staying for a month. So yeah, I mean, I'm single. (laughs) No, I only asked, you know, like when I was young, I was 23 when I started my first company and I built it up to about 15 employees pretty quick. You know, we were, you're running, I mean, you become an adult really fast. I woke up one day and I just went like, 
man, do I need to be doing all this? Like, you know, yeah. it was like, that was, that company ended up not working out. I got into real estate a year or two later, but it was like, and I just remember thinking like, man, like all my friends are just, you know, like selling hats at the mall or something. Yeah. And I'm like over here like, and it's just, I, know, yeah. I don't know, do you ever feel like maybe you you know, overwhelmed a little bit with it? Sometimes or? it is like, I mean, yeah, I mean, all, there's all these people and like, I mean, I know them personally and like, I care so much about them and their kids and everything. So it's like, there is like the pressure of like, I like, we have to have work for them now. You yeah. know, it's not something cause like we just love them too much that we can just be like, okay, like find your own well, orders. That probably makes you it know? a lot easier for you though, to actually but put yeah, the effort like, it's in so every motivating. day. And I think I feel so lucky cause like I work, I mean, we work a ton, right? Um, and it's sometimes it's crazy and overwhelming and it's a lot of work, especially in country. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love it so much that like it's also not really work. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm I just love what I do and I like love the people I get to work with. So well, what a cool opportunity, though. I mean, you built this opportunity. And I think people that are in college right now, maybe they're trying to figure out or even adults. Right. That are like listening to your story, I think, is inspiring so much because it happens really fast. But you kind of you took a chance and then you ran with it. And then you just saw this opportunity and grew with it. So mm-hmm. what what would you tell people that are like, you know, maybe in college right now, um, girls in the same situation you were in, mm-hmm. um, they don't know what they want to do. Like, what were some of the key elements that you had? Did you have any mentors along the way? What were some of the key things that So we that ha- actually, mentors have been amazing for us. So like when we first got started, we won a couple business competitions at BYU. And the advisors that we have from that are like now on our board and like have been huge, like amazingly helpful. Like the type of people that like we can call at midnight and be like, we don't know what to do with this client. Like, you know, Um, so, yeah, we've had amazing advisors and we've been so lucky. Um, But I think like something people don't realize is that and I mean now like, yeah, we're like a successful business and like it's going and everything. But like there were so many times, especially like in the first few years with Musana, where we were so ready to give up. Walk us through that a little bit. Do you have a specific time or maybe? Well, I mean, like we were a nonprofit. And so that's the thing. I mean, shifting to for profit has been a game changer for us. And it just makes so much more sense with this business model. But as a nonprofit, I mean, and I was like still in college for part of this. So like I'm a student. I'm, you know, for sure over more, way more than full time working for Mazana, trying to do like other internships and stuff on the side and just like keep up with life, you know. Um, And there were so many times where it was like so overwhelming or times where like, we like needed to pay our artisans and we're like, we don't have enough money to pay them. Like literally we're like looking at our bank account and we're like, what do we do? Like, you know, and like it just something always would work out though. Like we would, and I mean, we'd hustle. Right. And so we'd get the retail order we need or, you know, a grant would come through or just something would always happen. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think like it looks, it always looks like it's more together and like people have it all more figured out than it is. And I think like that's something that people don't realize because yeah, it just always seems yeah, from like the outside. Businesses always know? look like everything's yeah. going like a straight line to success, right? But really it's like this oh, zigzagging it's all over the line. Place, yeah. just... And like you have to be willing to fill often. Like if you look at where, where we are now, like we started trying to sell directly to retail customers and to like be this big Tom's-ish brand kind of a thing. And like, we have totally changed. Like, we're not even close to what we were when we started. And I think, like, you have to be willing to just, like, eat your pride and fail. Like, fail often and, like, get back up, you know? But that's the thing is, like, you have to just be willing to, like, get over it and, and move. Like, make the pivots that you need and, like, make the changes and just move forward and, like, don't look back. 
Oh, that's great. Well, so as a kid, were you that way too? Like, were you just like this little hustler that would run around and try different <laughs> things all the time? Or So, how? you know, it's funny. As a kid, I was like, I hated it, but everyone always called me bossy as a kid. <laughs> and like back then, I hated it. And You're I, not bossy now, though. I mean, I feel like I hope not. We've I mean, been on trips together. We've gone yeah. several different nights out, different things with groups of friends and stuff. Right. I mean, I, I feel like I'm pretty like chill. I would hope now, so. But. but that's the thing, especially like when you're a kid, like bossy is the worst thing you could be. <laughs> and I think I was just more of like, I was just like if there wasn't a leader in the group I was like the one to step up and be like let's do this um and so yeah I mean I've always been like I just like I like to have things going and like moving and I don't know I've kind of always liked to have a lot of stuff going on and I just get bored without yeah. it that's what <laughs> so, I always yeah. tell people they're like how do you have time to do all these different things I'm like I just get bored easily. well I'm like how, how do you not yeah I would just <laughs> yeah, be bored out of like, my mind if, do do, yeah yeah, yeah totally. well so do your friends come to you now for advice like a lot of you know, we have a lot of the same friends or whatever, but a lot of the other women your age come up and ask you for business advice or are they trying yeah, to I mean, sometimes, like, like when we, like, we'll, like, talk in classes at BYU and so we'll have, like, students and stuff kind of come up. That's still, like, so weird to me because I'm, like, I feel like I'm in your same place, but I guess, yeah. Yeah, I well, know. I mean, a lot of the students probably are actually older than you, the ones you're going to speak with. Yeah, maybe so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. what do you, so for... People listening, tell us a little bit about Lynn. What do you like to do when you're not working? Obviously, this consumes a ton of your time. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other things you do, though, just, you know, that you enjoy a lot that give you satisfaction on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. Work some of the fun stuff. So, like, any free time I have, I'm, like, always with friends or family or, like, doing something active. I love to – well, not in the winter. But I love to be outside. Um, yeah, doing anything outside, just exercise, yeah, all so that do, stuff. Do Playing guys, games with friends, like whatever. Do guys get intimidated when they ask you out and find out that you have this huge successful business? You have to running? ask them. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they get super nervous around you and stuff like that. No, they shouldn't. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, no that's pretty cool. Um, well, so what's the next step for you? Are you, you see the company staying here in Utah? Do you are you going to maybe move somewhere else? So I mean, that's grow, what's or? so interesting is that we kind of just started here by chance. Like we were both here and whatever. Um, but now, like all of our big clients are here and like we we've really had a lot of success with the MLMs in Utah mm. and as you know I'm sure this is the place companies. like yeah. for MLMs and so I think like yeah at least for the next few years it makes sense for us to stay here and we'll see you never know what will change and happen but yeah. I got you okay cool 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 yeah. um all right and so pivoting again so you're in these 10 different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, what does life look like for these people that are out there that you're working with? Like, what is a daily, you know, how many baskets or purses? You have a couple items mm-hmm. and it's going to be, yeah. for those that are listening, we'll just kind of describe, but I want you to be able to show okay, a couple yeah. of these type of items. So, so go is, to the YouTube if you're listening and you can kind of see this later on. Yeah. But. So this is what I was just working on in Morocco. Okay. So, so this, this is, is like a little pot. That's So uh, this is for doTERRA, which is like an essential oils. And uh-huh. so this comes like they sold it with like little diffusing reeds. Oh, yeah. yeah so they'll put oils inside. Okay. So, yeah. And you can see on the bottom, it says handmade in Morocco for doTERRA. So each one of these is hand painted. Come, no, like hand shaped, oh, wow. hand cool. fired, everything. Yeah. Okay. Like from the beginning. So, yeah. So that's from Morocco. So we have ceramics from there. Um, and I don't have everything, but this is leather from Guatemala. So it's like completely handmade. And then we can do companies logos there. So that was for a client. Um, out east. It's high material. You mentioned that, that you guys only like to do, you like to keep it high mm-hmm. end. You have to go in and make sure the quality right. is Yeah, correct. so that's a big thing is, yeah, is getting the quality. Is quality control the, one of the hardest parts that you guys yeah. deal with? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so that's okay. tricky. And, and just the Western standards are so high. Even though it's handmade, there's like some understanding of like, yeah, there can be differences. But yeah, we go in and do a lot of training with the groups on like, yeah, just quality standards and all that stuff. Yeah, so sure. That's fun. Okay. 
Um, oh, this is from Morocco, too. This is actually really cool. So this is Twia wood. And it's crazy. I didn't even know this until I was just there recently, but because um, it's kind of a new product. But so this Twia wood, it comes from these gorgeous trees. But like, see how it's like speckled and everything, it's like, like a especially jewelry on the box bottom. Or is this bowls so or this is just is like this a exactly? bowl, but like they make it into everything. That's What's so crazy is that like this, um, this like speckled kind of really cool wood only comes from the root of the tree. Oh. So, like, they only harvest, like, a few trees every year because they wait for the roots to get really big. And, like, because just the regular, like, bark on the normal trunk of the tree isn't spotted or speckled or anything. Okay. So, it's, like, way cool. How do you guys decide what products? Does the companies that you're, the business-to-business companies, are they the ones that mm-hmm. pick what they want and yeah. then you go find it? Or? So, it's just kind of a collaboration. So, like, we have, you know, kind of an idea of, like... Um, like the products that we can do. But yeah, and just in talking with clients, they'll say like, oh, we want a product to, that does this or like is this kind of a function and then we'll just kind of pull some options together. Okay. But then a lot of the times, yeah, like with doTERRA, we totally customize the design and everything. So like we'll work with their d- design teams on that. And gotcha. So it's fun. And, and so if somebody's listening to this right now and they're like, they will say they help with a group in some random country, right? Peru mm-hmm. or Haiti or something. Right. What, uh, is there opportunity? Do you guys do partnerships like that or is that something you're looking for or not really? Yeah, I mean, we're, always open work? to yeah like finding new artisan partners mm-hmm. yeah so totally i mean yeah and then you and, just kind of work with them mm-hmm. and, and we've it had it happen where a company has come to us and they've been like hey we want a product from this place do you know artisans there and luckily now we're just like so tapped into kind of this network of artisan groups that we can reach out to our contacts and wherever and they'll connect us to different people okay so we've been able to do that a couple of times which is nice awesome um let's see what else oh this is cool this is from uzbekistan uzbekistan that's like is, borat yeah. Have you ever seen Borat? No. I know that. Though. People always say that. <laughs> it's the funniest movie. The first hour is like, I've never laughed so hard. It's completely irreverent and like inappropriate. Don't watch it unless you're <laughs> ready to feel like a worse person. But it, you will laugh so hard. But, okay. Um, it's the only the other list. time I've heard of Uzbekistan. Yeah. But, well, it's cool. Then, Uzbekistan is like, I think maybe the only or like one of only two countries that's doubly landlocked. So like it and all the countries oh, around yeah, it are it. landlocked. Okay. And so, yeah, it's crazy. But this is like um, silk thread. Yeah, it's, so it's like all it hand close. embroidered. It's super cool. Okay. So this is our baskets from Rwanda. This is like a really popular item that we do. So we do like big baskets like this, smaller ones, as like gift baskets or whatever. And so like a nice basket. These are high quality. You can tell this. Is yeah, like, really, really high quality. Like what do you sell like in bulk? What, like how many people, how many of these are they making So these retail, you... like these retail for like $60, like oh, the wow. large size, yeah. smaller or less. Um, but yeah, like luckily that's one thing is like because we work directly with the artisans, um, where we can get the, we can get it for a lot cheaper. Yeah, for sure. And then, but they're making mass. I mean, and right, so like and so one worker, how long would it take them to make a basket like this? Um, so a big one, I'm not sure. Probably they might be able to do one in a day. Um, we did like small baskets and cause so how it works is like these, like there's these, like these big pieces of kind of like a bamboo type thing that goes around. Right. And then you have like your hand dyed string that like you're stitching around this like every single one of these lines is like a stitch so you can imagine like it takes so much time and they do it so fast it's unbelievable um but yeah so like our little baskets that we did our first huge order we did in rwanda was for fifty thousand units for doTERRA oh wow (laughs) um and they were these little piece baskets from rwanda and those took two days to make for one basket for fifty thousand. 
Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. So it was insane. Yes. But, yeah. That put them to work for Months. a full year. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. So it was cool. Oh, it's so, really yeah. cool that you're getting the local support here in Utah. That is one of the coolest things about Utah is there is a lot of um, economic opportunity. And with mm-hmm. all the, like you said, the multi-level marketing companies, mm-hmm. and we've had a few people that, you know, are run multi-level marketing companies on this show. Oh, Justin cool, Prince yeah. was on. He mm-hmm. um, is one of the founders, executives at Modere. Oh, cool. And uh, it's really cool. I, I, I give a lot of credit to those people as well. That industry is not an easy one to work with. So uh, do they actually sell your products or they give away to people? So it just depends. Like there's exactly a few ways that? that our products are used. So um, doTERRA has been, so like the first year it was kind of like a, a package thing for the holidays. So they sold like our, our piece little, our little piece basket with a piece oil. Um, and the piece basket is really cool. The reason they kind of couple that together is because um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Rwanda genocide, but I was in 1994. Mm-hmm. And so I've the, seen like the, the, the hotel movie. Rwanda. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I've been there. It's pretty cool. <laughs> you have? Okay. Yeah. What's so cool about that is that like they have like a little thing out in the parking lot that's like a tribute to it. But like the coolest part is that it's like totally up and running and like it's wow, been renovated. Like an and I'm like, hotel. yeah, like you guys. That's are, cool. He yeah. was hiding all the people there, right? In yeah. The hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. But so cool. Um, but yeah. So in Rwanda, so after the genocide. You had the two groups, the Hutu and the Tutsi, that were kind of warring during this whole thing. And um, afterwards, the, there were so many women, especially who were widowed. So, so many women who are widowed and children who are now orphans. And so you have this huge population of women who, one, are like alone and trying to fend for their kids and all these other orphans that are family members and whatever. Um, and then also just who don't have a jobs and like they have this huge family to provide for on their own now. And so women came together and, and basket weaving had always been something that was just traditional there. But after the genocide, it became just a lot more significant because women started grouping in cooperatives and would make baskets like for profit, like to, you know, help provide for their families. Right. And then this peace basket, especially there's like a little design that's like a Z, um, and it's like supposed to symbolize like the two groups coming together and just forming one, which is like, and oh, now it's cool. just Rwandan. It's actually really interesting when you're in country there, you do not speak like the words Hutu and Tutsi. It's just like never said. They love being. Combined. Yeah. Like we are Rwandans and it's like, it's like all about unity and everything. So Very cool. the peace basket was like a really cool story, but. So is Rwanda the favorite place you've been of all these countries or what would you say is your oh, favorite place you've been? It's visited? so hard. I don't know. I mean. Uganda has my heart just because I've spent so much time there. Sure. Um, yeah, and I just, I love the people there so much. Um, but, it, I mean, Uganda, places? like, the standard of living is low. Yeah. So, you wouldn't, yeah. You wouldn't necessarily make that your vacation spot, but oh, you no, love no. going there. I, like, I love going there. Like, most people wouldn't, yeah. probably. That's kind of how I feel about Haiti. Like, it yeah. really is. There's, like, four buildings that shouldn't be condemned in the entire country. But I just love <laughs> exactly, the people, yeah. you know. It's like, yeah. It took me two trips to find a grocery store, but, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, you just fall in love. And, yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, other than that. I got, I got to go to Peru this year, which was really cool, like Lima. I would love to just live in Lima for, like, a year and just learn Spanish and hang. But um, Morocco's really, really cool. We've been working with that group there, and it's really pretty out there, too. So I don't uh, have a favorite. I can't pick. That's okay. Well, no, it's, yeah. it's, I just, for me, traveling in general, it just opens your eyes to so many different things yeah. and ideas and peoples and everything else and cultures, right? And mm-hmm. so I think it's one of the reasons why... I think it's one of the most important things that you can do is travel totally and go see the world because you're just that empathy and that level of um, understanding of another group yeah. that's totally different. Well, and it's just like nothing is better for perspective than getting outside of... 100%. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, every time. And I mean, the first couple of times I was in Uganda, I came back and it was like, 
it was like, it was like really hard for me to adjust because there, I don't know, just life is so different. And I felt like when you're there, you don't have like all these other levels of just like society and culture. And, and it's such a blessing that we're developed enough that we have that here. But when you're stripped of all of that, you kind of just, it's like so clear what matters in life. Like it's like your family, your faith, your friends, you know what I mean? And just like working hard to build a better future. Um, and sometimes I think those things get clouded when, you know, when we bring in all these other aspects of culture and society here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, nothing is better than to like cleanse the palate than just to go to <laughs> Africa and, you know, it's really the best. I love it. So somebody is listening to this podcast right now. They want to help. They're inspired by what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, who wouldn't be, but how can they get involved? What's the best way? What do you guys need, I guess, as an organization? So, you know, it's hard now because, like, now that we are totally business to business, like, we're not <laughs> selling directly to people. And it's hard because I have friends who are like, oh, I love that blanket or whatever. And I'm like, sorry. You're like, join the middle. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, exactly. Right. Like, go, go talk join to them. Skin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, if people have a business that does, like, gifting or, or something like that where they feel like there's a need for, um, their company to show that they care about the global community and do it in a way that's not just throwing money at a charity, then yeah, send them our way. But otherwise, I mean, we're grateful for the support. We'll, we'll probably be hiring pretty soon. And are you looking for people that want to go and travel to these other countries at this point and people that want to go we'll and need, help find more opportunities? Yeah. I mean, like so we'll need that. Yeah, we'll need that. But then also just people here in the States to do sales and marketing and sure. things like that. So yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, pretty inspiring. Um, Thank you. Keep it up. This is awesome. And, um, Glad to call you a friend and glad to have you on the podcast. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. Thanks, Lyndon. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Jimmy Rex Show. If you liked what you listened to, please check us out online. Check out our show notes at thejimmyrexshow.com. We're also on iTunes or SoundCloud. All the past episodes, show notes, links to any of our guests are all on there. Check it out. Give us a look. Please share this via social media with any of your family or friends or anybody you think might be interested or could gain from listening to this show. Thank you again for listening. Until next time, take care.